Hello and welcome back to Commodity Conversations by the team at Mercado, the podcast where we aim to keep you up to date with the latest trends, drivers and movements in livestock, grain and oil seed and fibre markets. I'm Olivia Agar. Thanks for tuning in to episode 185. While we've been celebrating the good prices for livestock and the favourable seasonal conditions from our good friend La Nina over the past few years, there are some very concerning biosecurity threats on our doorstep which if we were to see an outbreak here, could quite quickly turn around these good times. So to talk to this today, we have a fresh question master in Mike Stevens from Meridian Agriculture, who has kindly agreed to join Robert Herman today to talk about the risk of foot and mouth disease and lumpy skin disease, what we can do to prevent it, prepare for it, and the possible effect to trade prices and the cost to industry that huge market shocks like these can have. Before I do pass over the mic to Mike, though, a few highlights from commodity markets this week. After five consecutive weeks of strengthening, the Eastern Wool Market Indicator has fallen this week, but one positive indicator that we have been looking at is the relative price of cotton to wool, as they're all part of that apparel fibre complex. And with cotton being on a stellar run, just ignoring all the issues that would typically have a negative influence on markets. This is very supportive of the price of wool. The wet weather across Queensland in recent weeks has been the cause of a few logistical challenges in cattle movement, but does offer some improved pasture growth in areas that were calling for it. The top end, however, has had a pretty poor end to the monsoon season, which is reported to have brought the dry season mustering earlier than usual to turn off calves due to worry about feed availability. Now that's it from me today. Enjoy the episode with Mike Stevens and Robert Herman. It's Mike Stevens speaking and I've got the privilege of welcoming you to today's commodity conversation. Uh, this is reverse to what you would normally have because I have the pleasure of interviewing Robert Herman. Normally it's or often it's Robert doing the interviewing. This conversation has come about because Robert has had some discussions with some of the Meridian Agriculture team about what's happening to our near north as far as foot and mouth and lumpy skin disease is concerned. And as a way of uh, bringing a discussion to you, we thought that this podcast was a, uh, an appropriate vehicle. So Rob, uh, welcome to your own podcast. And uh, just Tell us, do you, do you think the current risk has heightened? Well, thanks, Mike, and thanks very much for being uh, not only a guest on Commodity Conversations, but now the first official guest presenter. Um, well done. But I'm not surprised you being a first, Mike, because um, that's been your modus operandi for a while. So going back to the very serious issue of um, this uh, biosecurity threats that we're, that, that's now getting heightened airplay and, and justifiably so. Um, has the current risk heightened? Well, it, it has, but it has been getting more, um, it's getting more traction, I guess, and, and in percentage terms of risk, it's been getting higher percentage terms over a period of time. Um, that said, um, Australia is very fortunate. We almost have to do something silly to become infected because we have this wonderful border and, and a wonderful big bit of ocean. And also, you know, 
pretty good systems, and we'll talk more about those. But has the risk heightened? Yes, it has. Rob, we, uh, we've had examples of doing things silly before. Uh, if we talked about Hotel Quarantine or Ruby Princess, uh, where we allowed a disease to get away, uh, that's, that's uh, when we look back in hindsight, not been very sensible. So at some stage during today's conversation, we need to talk about what we think should happen um, at the borders. But, but, but right now, I mean, is the risk of uh, foot and mouth and lumpy skin disease the same? Uh, the method of spread is different. So does that make the risk different? Yes, it does make the risk different. And I think if we talk about lumpy skin disease, firstly, I think just, and, and again, you and I aren't qualified veterinarians or, or scientists in this field, but we, we can observe what's happening. And one of the things we, uh, we have observed is that when the risk of lumpy skin disease became, uh, you know, got closer to our northern borders, the Australian government and their advisors, so the chief veterinary advisor, very quickly moved to um, position themselves. And I think they've done very well in that space by heightening the awareness, um, looking at getting vaccines in place. So I think they've done very well. But if they're reacting like that, Mike, I think we also need to accept that the likelihood of lumpy skin disease getting here is very high. And one of the reasons, and we'll talk about it, foot and mouth disease in a minute, but one of the reasons it's higher is that it is an airborne disease and, and lumpy skin disease can be moved by biting insects, so mosquitoes. Um, according to the Melbourne University uh, analysis, they're saying there's a 28% probability that it's going to get here in the next five years. So up in the northern parts of the country, you know, Torres Strait, there's a lot of islands, there's um, a lot of insects, and they can get blown across. So that's a problem there. In terms but of foot... foot sorry, go on, Mike. But, but, but foot and mouth disease is not airborne, is it? it uh, how does it spread? That's correct. And that's where it's more appropriate to say that we will have to do something silly. And something silly might be... It could be anybody, because... Um, it's, it's generally seen as a low risk or it remains a low risk um, in the absence of close contact between animals or the imported, um, importation of infected products. Now, the importation of infected products is a constant worry for our border security. There's an amazing amount of kilograms of, of confiscated meat at the borders. So that's a problem. Um, but it can be spread through close contact between animals and carried in animal products. Um, and it's most likely to be introduced into Australia in contaminated or illegally imported animal products. Now, the, one of the, and, and that's been a constant fight. We should acknowledge that foot and mouth disease, and for that matter, lumpy skin disease, has been in the world, around the world for a long time. And in fact, in the 1880s, Australia had a case of foot and mouth disease. But and, but what heightens the risk, I think, Mike, is that now people are travelling so frequently, moving long distances so quickly. The, the other point that, was made, that has been made in recent times is that we have a, a pretty robust live cattle export industry that takes cattle, live cattle on ships northwards, and most of those cattle go to Indonesia. Now, the challenge or the problem for um, keeping our biosecurity in place is that those ships have got to return. Now, we know that there's, um, you know, the, the industry is highly alert to this, 
But I think that uh, is increasing the risk because foot and mouth disease has now got Indonesia recently. When it wasn't in Indonesia, then clearly that risk of those returning ships wasn't, uh, wasn't a big problem. Now it becomes a more acute problem. And talking about uh, silly things, what about uh, uh, people who fail to declare that they've been walking in paddocks where there may have been animals and they've got uh, some material on their boots? Is that a, is that a risk? It, it is a risk. And, um, and the thing that we as farmers can do, and I know we're going to talk a bit more about that, is that if you... That, I mean, the, the, prob, the product has still got to get out into our animals. So most of the people returning from overseas, Mike, um, you know, they go to Kew and Hawthorne and Williamstown and places like that and don't come in contact with animals. And over a period of time, that virus would die on their boots. The risk is, though, that if the contaminated product or the virus that's on your clothes or your boots gets in touch with animals, while it's still in a virulent stage, um, and it's highly contagious. You know, it is, it is a terrible disease. It's terribly hard to get rid of, but it also spreads very quickly. So we, we as um, people in agriculture, you know, one of the basic things we can do is make sure we've got, if anybody is coming back from countries that have FMD or, or um, lumpy skin disease, we, we don't let them get near our farms or our animals um, for a, I would say a considerable period of time, but I guess in some cases it'll be at least at least a week or so, so that we have a better chance of keeping the disease out. Yes, well, I'll be keeping anybody who's been coming from Asia off uh, any farm that I've got anything to do with for at least two weeks. Rob, um, let's let's start to to look at the uh, the effect on market. So. Um, one of the things that's uh, concerned me about the current markets, they're, they're bubbling along very nicely and, and it looks as though they will unless there's a market shock. And a market shock uh, could be foot and mouth or lumpy skin disease being diagnosed here in Australia. So what, uh, what do you think the effect on the market would be? And is it, is, it, is it one market or do we need to segment the market when we start to think about that? Well, the, the big impact will be on our high value, high quality markets because those markets, whenever we ship some product to them, the Chief Vet in Australia signs a document to say Australia does not have currently lumpy skin disease or foot and mouth disease. Now, whether you're shipping, whatever you're shipping, um, that document has to be signed and, and that is just part of the protocols that we've agreed and negotiated with those high-value countries. China is a really good example of that. Once we do have foot and mouth in Australia, let's just say it was just in an isolated part of the country in, um, in some cattle or lumpy skin disease, he can no longer sign that document. So that will mean that those agreements would have to be renegotiated um, hopefully they would then accept that we could, that you know we can still send product even though we've got those diseases but that would be problematical but it would also take time Mike these we know how long it takes to negotiate free trade agreements imagine if you're going back and saying hang on we want to um, we've, we want to just change the quality pro protocols that we've got there in terms of dollars we know that in the US when they had their um, mad cow um, outbreak. They had one mad cow 
And uh, but what it did, it 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 kept them out of those high value markets of Japan, Korea. Uh, for five years, and they estimated that it cost the U.S. cattle industry eleven billion. Now, with a remembering B, that, that is with a B, a B, eleven B, billion, billion yeah. eleven billion U.S. dollars. Now, remembering the U.S. though, it consumes about more than ninety percent of its own beef, so it's not as reliant on exports as Australia. When they ran the same model, and I think it was in uh, two thousand and eleven when they ran this model. On a, if it happened in Australia, they estimate the cost over that period of time would be more like 50 billion because of our reliance on exports. And that's not even looking at the cost of um, trying to eradicate it. So the cattle councillors had a look at it. They're saying that it's somewhere in the range of 50 to 100 billion um, if we had a, a, an outbreak. So it is, it's just one of those things that you just uh, shudder and hope never happens, but it's also, Mike, one of those things that um, you can't uh, um, ignore. So, Rob, um, you've, you've talked about the what it would cost the industry. Think in terms of the individual producer and the and and the, the market price of lamb, mutton, or beef. You know, trade steer or or or, or lamb. And, and I know this is an impossible question because it's it's very hard to predict but what's the sort of range of reduction in value that you could envisage if we do get an outbreak well i think for our prime cattle and prime lambs we'd be looking at more than a 50 percent reduction in my opinion and, and that's not there's no hard crunching of numbers behind that and by the way that's probably something we should be encouraging to happen. You know, the, the, we should be road testing what is the impact because that will help us um, formulate what our approach is now and how much money needs to be directed towards um, preventing it. But just going back to the markets, Mike, I really would be really worried about our old stock. So cows and sheep, um, they are totally reliant almost totally reliant on export demand. And, um, and, and, and one of the reasons they're at, at the record levels they're at is because that export demand is very strong. You take that away and, you know, we, we often said that we'll never see sheep value that are valueless again because of the export markets. But if you took those, some of those export markets away, especially into the Asian regions, um, those stock are going to be very difficult to find a home for and even to, to get any value from. And remembering that you then got, um, you probably got enhanced processing demand, people, more people want to get rid of their stock. I think the longer term, and again, we're, we're blue sky gazing here a little bit, but the longer term would be if we had continued strong demand for grains and oil seeds, if the livestock industry in general would take a real hit in Australia. It's very, very uh, sobering. And those of us with uh, long memories can remember when at various times uh, the freight on a, on, a, uh, on a load of sheep or cattle, or no, well, no, not cattle, but, a, a, but the freight on a load of sheep was, was the cost of the freight was greater than the value of the sheep. So, yeah, the market can, if, it, if it's flooded and there's no demand, it can do nasty things. So, so Rob, in order to avoid that situation or give us the best chance of avoiding that situation what are the, what are the things that you think we need to do and 
and, and obviously, uh, you're, not, you're not the government. We don't even actually know who the new Minister for Ag is yet. Um, and there are, there are um, a whole lot of uh, protocols, procedures, uh, biosecurity arrangements in place. But, you know, what, what do you think we need to do to give us the, the best chance of keeping both foot and mouth and lumpy skin out of Australia? Well, I think, I think the answer to that is, is what do we need to do to enhance our defensive measures for anything that's coming down the track? Because if anything, if we've learned anything in the last five years, it's the things coming that we can't talk, we, we can't anticipate are the things that uh, blow us out of the water. And, and COVID's a good example of that. I think um, at individual farm level, we need, everybody needs to understand that biosecurity is not only a risk for us, it's a trading advantage we currently own. And if we lost that, then we're back in the ruck with everybody else. And we did some analysis on the price of Uruguayan lambs. And by and large, a Uruguayan lamb is not much different to an Australian lamb. But because they don't enjoy the export markets that we enjoy, their lambs are about half the price. And so, so that's a risk we have. I think at, uh, an individual farmer's I mean, they're pretty good at farming, Mike. We know that. Um, but biosecurity is, is a process and protocols and, and um, having systems in place that you adhere to, that work to, to defend. So I think everybody has got a role to play. And whether you're a, in our business where we're, we're looking at advising people and analysts or whether you're a farmer or whether you're a livestock agent, or whether you're a carrier, I mean, our, if if this goes wrong, we're all in deep, you know what, Mike? So we're all got a, a role to play. Can I just swing it back to you though, just for a minute, Mike? And because you're uh, well connected and and have done a lot of work in the political space on this, how can um, how can we make sure that our politics politicians, especially straight after an election? Are, um, are really across the, the, the seriousness of this problem? Well, Rob, what every uh, farmer can do is what uh, some of us at Meridian have already done, and that is to contact our local members and impress upon our local member the importance of getting on to the Minister for Agriculture, whoever that may be, when that appointment is made, and impressing on the on the minister the importance of of, uh, of biosecurity um, and doing uh, impressing on the minister uh, the need to do whatever needs to be done to tighten it up at the points of entry uh, to make sure that uh, there's not a slip up. So every every person who's interested in this uh, could certainly do that, and I hope they do. And I've had a good hearing where I've done it. And I think you're right. I think we've also got our state farming organisations who we need to be supporting in their endeavours to, um, to, to improve uh, the biosecurity um, story. Uh, but, and, and one other thing we should remember, Mike, is that if something does happen, then you go into a, a, a mode where what you're trying to do is rectify the situation. So get on top of the problem um, uh, eradicate the, the disease if you can and give your customers confidence that you're 
back on track and you're not going to infect them. We saw in South America, South Africa in right now where they had a, a foot and mouth outbreak again. They've had, you know, it's, a, it's almost a regular occurrence there. And not only did their livestock sales get impacted, but China said, well, we're not going, we can't import wool. And um, so their wool sales stopped. So we're going to, you know, the seriousness of it should be encouraging us to do whatever we can. I, I keep looking at trying to look for a glass half full here. Right now at the moment, Mike, we know that our markets are very strong. We know that we have some of the most expensive meat in the world. The reason for that is that um, we're a trusted source. And if you want to be, remain a trusted source where and you can command, uh, you know, you can dominate the access into the high value markets, then one of the things you can do is keep making it harder for everybody else to get there. And one way we can make it harder for everybody else is by continually improving our traceability and our systems that will give our, our customers the confidence that, you know, we've got a reliable product. Rob, really good points. Let's, let's just go to um, a, uh, a farmer who's got, I don't know, uh, 1,500 lambs uh, that they're going to be ready to turn off in four to eight weeks' time or a mm. couple, couple of hundred steers that are going to be ready to turn off in six to 12 weeks' time. Um, is, there, is there any justification for moving uh, some of that sale forward with this spectre in front of us? Yeah, look, it's a, it's a really good question. The, I would say this is a time to be aware of the risks that you're facing, and this is a risk. And, and, and we've agreed at the beginning of this conversation, Mike, that it's slightly heightened. That said, you know, there's a strong argument to say that you should still be uh, marketing your products in, a, in the way that best suits your system. So if your lambs are heading towards, you know, 25 kilograms carcass weight in the next four weeks um, and you've got the feed to do that, then I wouldn't be selling them today. Um, but I wouldn't be holding, I wouldn't be looking at the situation and saying, oh, gee, the market might go up and I'll hold them for another month after that period either. So what I'm, I'm saying is what we normally say, I think, is, you know, don't try and pick markets. Again, don't try and pick risks. I mean, we could, we, we'd all go crazy if we did that, but stick to a sensible approach and, and hanging on to stock past, uh, you know, their, their optimum time, if you like, at times can work, but rarely, uh, I shouldn't say rarely, many times it doesn't work. And so this would be a time to say, just focus, keep an eye on what's happening in Indonesia and that, but just focus on, producing your products because I mean like we said in our earlier conversations before we came on here Mike we rush out and sell this week this year's lambs today instead of in four weeks time what are we going to do next year with next year's lambs if, if the risk is still there so again it's a sensible approach but um, it's not a time I mean the prices are good um, demand's good it's not a time to be punting markets I don't think over and above what your normal program would be. So, Rob, you've, you've said to keep an eye on the market. Um, the other thing to keep an eye on, and and I'm not a vet and I'm not about to pretend to be one, and nor are you, but, but uh, people need to be vigilant in keeping an eye on their livestock in the paddock. And without, without you becoming a vet, what are the things they need to look for? 
Yeah, look, and, and we've done a little bit of background research on this, looking up the um, the Chief Vet's advice, the Australian Chief Veterinary Officer's advice, um, um, Dr. Mark Ship. Um, you, you, you need to be looking at, or oh, you should always be looking for things that are going wrong with your stock, but especially now, you know, if uh, blisters on the mouth or drooling or limping animals, um, you should be um, getting advice as soon as you suspect anything along that. And look, there's a there's a national helpline, um, 1-800-675-888. Um, go, I encourage people to go to the um, Department of Agriculture's website, the, um, the, the Australian government website, and, and have a look around about how this works. Because um, if we do get, if, if there is an outbreak, it needs to be identified immediately because that will give us our best chance of dealing with anything. And one of the criticisms of Indonesia at the moment, and I don't know if this is true or not, if it can be verified or not, but that the response wasn't quick enough. And so then you lose track of where the infection's gone. And so if we can have a really quick response and a strong traceability model and an effective approach, then should something happen, should we get FMD, um, then we would hope that that, that would be uh, dealt with as quickly as possible. And Rob, the, the, the real differences can be seen in the UK when you look at the difference in the number of stocks slaughtered and the cost of FMD in the 90s outbreak and in the outbreak they had in 2010 or thereabouts. Uh, the, the second outbreak, uh, the, the, the cost, the number of stocks uh, slaughtered was a small fraction of the cost of the 90s one because they'd they'd learnt to lock down yes. um, and, and they had better traceability. So, Robert, thank you. Uh, are, there, are there any other last uh, points? That I, I, think, I think the other thing that we, and, and you don't want to single out things, Mike, but we're now seeing a real encouragement to try and open up tourism back to Bali. And, uh, and people in Bali very much need tourism, but unfortunately that has the potential for a big risk. You know, people going away on a holiday, um, not thinking about what might be coming back with them, whether that's, uh, you know, disease or weeds or whatever. Um, we just need to try and highlight this. And I think going through your, your suggestion, talking to your politicians, um, this type of uh, outline and, uh, and other ways of getting the message out there. Hopefully we can do that because we can be well prepared for these things. We, in the end, we need to be able to deal with whatever we've got to deal with, but being prepared and, um, and ready is, is critical. So, Rob, if you go to Bali, don't pack a lunch when you're coming home. Take old boots and leave them there. Yeah, and don't, don't pack anything dodgy in your surfboard case either, Mike, I think. Robert Herman, thank you for being a guest on your own <laughs> podcast. Great, Mike, and it was terrific to talk to you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to another episode of Commodity Conversations. If you're looking for more detailed information on commodity markets, you can head to the Mercado website and pick up a premium subscription, which will give you full access to all our archive of reports, as well as all the fresh analysis as it's delivered and access to our team of analysts. Thanks again, and until next week, take care.